And I'm saying your name right. Re. Yeah. Re Sharma. Yeah. It's so cool to uh, have this conversation with you. I've actually been looking forward to this. I'm sure people have found you in different ways on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I missed like making the connection that uh, you started some pretty like sizable communities on the internet. And I love talking shit about Wall Street, even though I know that may not be your intention, but I uh, ran into Wall Street confession and I was like, what? And then, uh, you know, I, I paid more attention to your Twitter and I was like, oh, okay. So uh, there's probably some really interesting things that you do. So we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, uh, just for anybody that's listening, you know what this is. It's Chris Sweat, a rant. And uh, we just are going to have a pretty unstructured conversation, but I'm really excited to host Ree. So, so Ree, maybe, um, like, maybe you could give the listeners like a little bit of an idea of like, what is it exactly that's occupying your time? And then uh, how did you get into some of these things? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I think like what's occupying my time right now is just like, I have been a creator full time for, I want to say, two and a half months. Um, And I used to have a corporate job. And even though it was a fintech, and even though they have crypto enabled or whatever now, it um, it felt like relatively corporate and buttoned up. Um, and then I made the decision to take a hiatus from working full time and really like try myself out as a founder of like a media company. And that's kind of what I look at Wall Street Confessions at um, or like as from like a high level. So the past like two and a half months of my life have just been dedicated to like scaling Wall Street Confessions, working across brand deals and like advertising um, and I also do like brand strategy and like social media consulting for like various like fintechs and even like one investment bank has hired me, um, which is like pretty cool. Um, and yeah, that's just what I've been up to professionally, at least. So when you were um, when you were doing some of the uh, community building and growth strategy and some of these different things uh, part time, was it something that came natural to you or like did you? make a few mistakes and you're like, whoa, what is this? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I'd say Wall Street Confessions kind of like really threw me into building community, right? I mean, I was 19 when I started it and then it just kind of like turned into this whole thing. And it's like, um, I never really thought about it the way I do now up until recently, but it's like, if you give a 19 year old who happen to make like crazy amounts of money, like you're kind of just like giving a toddler a jar full of candy. Like I was... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I was like 20. And like, I doxed myself intentionally, I posted a picture of myself. um, And I sent it into like, barstool babes or something. Um, And then I unsent that DM when I was 21, because they ignored me. But um, I was 20, I was going to school in the city. And I think this is like one of my um, things that I wish I hadn't done with Wall Street Confessions. But it's like, everyone knew me, my followers were like, you know, in their like early 20s at the time. And like, I've grown alongside them and they're like associates and VPs now, but initially it was like summer analysts and like first year analysts. I'm like, I, um, you know, flashed my Instagram everywhere I went. Um, I'm like, I used to like really not be able to handle my followers that were like, okay. stop posting yourself. Like this is Wall Street confessions. Like this isn't like all about you. Um, and I was a little bit narcissistic and I was like, but it is cause it's my page. But, um, 
a few months ago, I was like rereading confessions because I do a newsletter now with Substack and it's like I provide like exclusive confessions and like unfiltered content. Um, and I have a pro deal uh, with them, which is really great. But um, there's this one like distinctive confession, I think from like 2020, that was like you posting yourself on this page all the time and like posting what you're doing is like a social media manager of a brand posting themselves. And mm. at the time I probably ignored it and I was like, this is stupid. It's just someone who doesn't like me. Um, and then now I'm like, no, like, that kind of makes sense. So I think, like, with Wall Street Confessions, I've had so much trial and error. And, like, right now, like, I'm working on more video content. But I definitely think it's more engaging than, like, where I'm getting my Botox or, like, where I get my lattes. <laughs> um, and it's more just about, like, the content incoming is just, like, here's, like, 10 outfits you can wear over the summer for your first internship or like here's like a gift guide um and I'm really excited to like restart that video expansion with my community um and sorry if I was getting away from the original question but um yeah I do think like with scale comes a lot of like hit or miss and like everyone's learning I mean I almost look at it um like the DAOs that like we see on Twitter where it's like some people like do the most and then like other people get upset and like yeah it's just this constant cycle of like doing better every single day yeah what do you think like um you know I like like I'm looking at some of your uh following just on Instagram and so forth so I can Mm -hmm. I can see like what I know what some of these people do for a living like allocators chief chief investment officers like like you know obviously some of the younger crowd as well like you said that's where you built your business but but so, like, you have created other communities, too, that have had success, right? It's not just, like, Wall Street Confessions is just only one part of, like, your whole body of work. Yeah, I mean, I'd say anything else I've done has been, like, kind of in a professional realm, like, me working full-time and, like, having a salary. Um, so I don't really know if I can take proper credit for that, especially, like, <laughs> my most recent gig, like, Stock Twits. Like, I think I grew their socials by, like, at least 100,000 on Instagram and, like, on Twitter. It was, like, pretty consistently, like, anywhere from, like, 1,500 to 3,000 a week. So it's, like, Mm -hmm. I've, like, built and scaled, but, like, there there were communities there that I was just focused on, like, re-engaging and, like, conversing with. Um, Yeah, but I guess, like, my personal Instagram, um, someone gifted me followers, which I i'm unhappy about but like uh-huh. if you look through my followers there's like a handful that are like bots from the east from like the eu and like whatever but like there's a community of like women who are like you know anywhere from like 18 to i want to say 26 who live in metropolitan cities like new york la miami and like they reach out to me all the time about like dating advice and like life advice and like that happened because of Wall Street Confessions in part. Like, I was doing a lot of press. Like, I did Vanity Fair, et cetera. And, like, people naturally, like, found me and followed me and, like, thought I was cool. But then, like, I think, like, another big part of that was just me engaging my followers and, like, really, really, like, asking them things and, like, giving advice on my stories and, like, uh, doing that. So I'd say, like, my personal Instagram and Wall Street Confessions are, like, two communities I would say I really built uh, versus mm-hmm. anywhere I've worked. Well, but, and even, um, even taking an existing community and growing it by say like a hundred thousand followers, that that's no small feat. I see a lot of brands that are, 
you know, they've got their social media managed by somebody that, you know, maybe they know how to post, but they don't know how to trigger some of these like really meaningful events. Was there like something specific about how you thought it maybe like was in your mind before you came to use social media or was there something enticing? Like how how did you develop that kind of skill set? Yeah, I don't I don't think it was um, about building community for me, not initially, at least. I mean, um, you know, there's the famous story with Walter Confessions where it was like I went through something awful and traumatic when I was younger and like women start sharing their stories. So like even throughout like all like my misgivings with Walter Confessions and like my personal errors, there was always that kind of like north star so to speak of like i owe it to the women following me and being vulnerable to like share their stories and to be a good person and to like open these conversations but i'd say like that was the reason that i kept wall street confessions going i mean i could have just stopped it after like 20 posts right and been like bankers are complaining this is stupid but like um it was so much more than that to me um and that was kind of like the reason i grew it to what i grew it to but i would say like Prior to starting it, I really just wanted to be a part of a conversation. I didn't, like, intend on growing a community. I mean, like, I also, like, came in at, like, prime time for social media. I think organic growth is, like, impossible now unless you're on TikTok um, and unless you kind of, like, have a face on there. But, like, for my consulting clients, for, like, Twitter and Instagram, I tell them, like, you have to pay the influencers that that were, like, already there before you to, like, pump your things, even if you're just tweeting um, or like posting things because it's like it is basically impossible to organically grow as a brand or as a community right now unless you're in web three because that's a new thing but like when I started Wall Street Confessions I was gaining a thousand followers like every single week like it really really happened fast because I was like in the right place at the right time but um yeah there's there's nothing going in uh there, there's no intention of community like going in or I mean I guess there was maybe it was subconscious but it was more just so about having a seat at the table yeah I see that and I I feel like um different variations of the internet in some ways have uh expanded that kind of access to be able to enter a conversation where you may not have a, a natural network to do so when you um for anybody that um I have that's listening that is not familiar with Wall Street Confessions, but like, what what would you say are like some of the, I don't know, like things that you didn't expect to happen that were like super positive or, you know, like, is there yeah. like an overarching ethos or how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think like with Wall Street Confessions, I like never expected so many women to like come out with their stories and I never expected like, Rich Handler, like, uh, shout out Rich Handler, like, to comment on every single thing I post. I mean, so for some context, for people listening, he's the CEO of Jeffries, and he's the highest paid uh, CEO on Wall Street. Um, and recently, like, Bloomberg did a thing on him a few months ago, and now he's a billionaire, and he just, like, comments on every single thing I post. And, like, I can DM him, and he'll, like, DM me back. Like, and we're, like, we have a very friendly back and forth. And it's, I never in a million years thought, that would happen in my life and like it did and like I never expected for people to like bond in the comment section and I never expected for people to like ask him for a job and him to like give them his email or for like other people to like be connected Mm -hmm. and I'm 
I like I can't like name like people who've like directly been hired because of Wall Street confessions, but I do know that like people DM me to connect them with other people for jobs and whatnot. And I just do think that like that's just such a crazy profound impact of the community and of the Instagram where it's like people feel very open and like there's like a duality there, right? Like anyone can comment on Wall Street confessions, whether it's like a retail trader in like Kansas or whether it's Rich Handler or whether it's like a summer intern, it's just, or a college kid. I mean, it was, it's so crazy to me. And I think that's like the most positive part of it. That's so interesting. And I, I feel like, like, do you think that, you know, there, there's like polar views on uh, Wall Street. Not everybody spent time in uh, Manhattan, but like you have the people that are on Wall Street, uh, even some of my friends that came home after three or four years and could not do it, and they're still in Colorado right now. And then you have other people that are, you know, getting promoted and making their high hundreds of thousands, low millions in their 30s. So, you know, this is real, right? I'm sure you see it all the time. Yeah. I've seen it. Uh, but it seems like there's kind of like a lot of polarity. There's like people that know there's a certain pipeline into these institutions and a lot of people that in some ways are making pretty extreme sacrifices more than a lot of people recognize. Do you think like your uh, community like softened that a little bit or like maybe made uh, like gave people more empathetic idea that they could connect with or? Um, um, so this is audio only, but I just like grinned. Because um, I think my community, and I, I think it's important to point out that I did. Um, my community um, is interesting because there's always like the very moral people. And then there's people who just feel the need to be negative about things and to kind of like take the harsh point of view. And it's like, I, I, I think like maybe early on, like they definitely were like softening things. But like right now there's a mentality in my comment section of just like suck it up you make so much money but I also think that like that in part is like this like big paradigm shift with like the pandemic and like we're looking at like huge wealth inequities like so flat out right like um we were never doing this like pre-pandemic or at least like it wasn't so candid or transparent I mean like who even heard of the term like wealth excess I mean I'm sure people did like if like 2008 like if people were like you know, fully formed back then, but like personally, I'm 22. Um, I saw things happen, but I didn't really have like the verbiage to express things uh, back then. But I do think like on Wall Street confessions, like they're harsh, they're like tough critics. And I think like part of it's important because if someone's being stupid, they deserve to know it. I oftentimes call out stupidity and I'm like, hey, dude, like this is really fucking stupid and you're being entitled and like, you know, whatever. I'm like, I kind of reached my breaking point uh, with people sending things in. I think like, Late last year, I remember distinctly, I was at Dorian's on the Upper East Side with my manager, um, Brian. And um, I was like, I was drinking a high noon and I was, I, was, I was pissed off. I was just screaming. I was like, I can't take it anymore. I can't keep being nice to these people. They're on PowerPoint every fucking day and they're complaining to me about like not being able to not look at PowerPoint while they make a hundred grand or like 250 grand, you know? And I was just screaming at Brian. And I was like, I can't like, you know, be soft anymore because like if you look at wall street confessions um i usually you know generally tend to take the side of you know whoever's sending the thing in because like it means a lot to me that people send content in but like i did kind of reach a point where it was like i started taking the side of the comment section where it was like yes there's a time and place to like be soft and like kind of like 
more empathetic, but there's also a time and place to be like, you know, maybe this problem isn't like the end of the world. I mean, like someone sent in something to me, um, I think like a month ago or something. And it was like, I don't like it when people call me by my last name instead of my first name. And I was like, this is what you're complaining about. Like, like really, this is the hill you're dying on. Like, this is the Wall Street confession, like the big one, the complaint. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't even do him um, the justice of posting it because I was like, the comment section will attack you more than I will. Um, and like, yeah, I, I think my followers can be really tough. And sometimes it's rightful. Um, other times, like, there's there's like there's like repeat offenders like i um i'm a big fan of the restrict feature on instagram i tend not to block anyone just on principle i think i've maybe blocked one or two people in my life i feel like it makes me look like a pussy if i block someone um but um the restrict feature is great because it's like they can't dm me or like if they dm me i don't get the notification i can still see it i just ignore it um and it goes back to my message request i'm like their comments don't post and i have to approve their comments and I actually like doing that because some people are just, you know, inflammatory to be inflammatory. And that's like not really my vibe. I'm like, yeah, it's like funny to like troll sometimes, and like make fun of people. But like when it comes to like women and like things like sexual assault or like, you know, me too, like some guys just like, you know, hide behind these like anonymous account and say these like awful things. And like, I won't stand mm-hmm. for it and I won't allow it. And that's where like community moderation comes in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's an interesting thing going on in my comment section it's mostly just like suck it up like you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps um and i usually i i usually tend to agree (laughs) okay that's so funny it's interesting it's like there's a part of uh certain types of corporate cultures that need to be softened because people are making dire sacrifices even if the money is okay they're destroying their personal relationships and uh, maybe they're buying into things that um, only exist in that small pocket of the world exist yeah. in broader reality. But then there, but then I do understand where you're coming from, where it's like sometimes uh, people do need to be slapped on the wrist. Yeah, it's like, no, and I mean, that... oh, sorry. go ahead. Um, well, yeah, no, and I mean, like, no one should work ninety or hundred hours a week. No one should work eighty hours a week. These kids like shouldn't be living. I'm the same age, but like I don't do it. But like no one in there. You call like, them kids. I I do because you you know like I kind of like get the grunt end of like their feelings. So like, um. But yep. no, we're like very equal. Um, and they work way harder than me. Um, no, they well, we don't know that. Anyway, we we don't we don't know if that's true. We don't know. Um. Yeah. The, yeah. The banker I'm seeing will text me um beer pong games on iMessage when he's bored at work. So I I don't know if they work harder <laughs> than I do, but um. I mean, no one, no one should work so many hours a week. No one should be at the office that many hours a week. No one should have to deal with, like, their employer just being awful and rude and, like, you know, verbally abusive towards them. And, like, they should have their meal credits if they are there. Like, there's clear cultural changes, and I understand, like, the granular sacrifices. But um, for some things, like, the last name things, it's just, like, suck it up. Like, it happens at, like, every job you're going to have. Like, I dealt with so much when I interned for, like, a Silicon Valley startup. It was the most miserable time of my life. I would never do it again um and it's like um people also just like underestimate like what it's like if you're like a person of color if you're someone or like from like a working class background like the sacrifices are like very unique and that like maybe like you're making 100 grand but like what is that after taxes really like i was making 125 and like after taxes it was like 
3,400, almost 3,500 every two weeks. And it's like, if you live in the city, and I know everyone's going to fucking come at me for this. Also, sorry, excuse my language. I'm but, sorry. No, your language is fine. I, but in the city, uh, um, 6,000 net is just not that much money. No, exactly. In the city, right? And like, no, 3,500. No it's like my rent, my Equinox, like, I love buying bags. I, you yep. know, I go out <laughs> with my girlfriend. You gotta have fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you're living in the city, you live a certain way, a hundred grand or like 125 here, even, or like 35 per paycheck. Let's put it that way. It's not what it would be in like the Midwest. It's just not. Sure. And like, I am, I don't feel sorry for that, but like back to the thing with like working class people and like people with immigrant parents, like I'm Indian, like culturally. And even though I was born and raised here, and I have a vocal fry to prove it. It's like, it's a very common thing in my culture for like, you know, kids to like give their parents money and like take care of them. So it's like, if someone, if someone's culture is like that, where it oftentimes is like in like the South Asian community, the Middle Eastern one, um, and like many others, it's like, where's the money being left over? Like you work so hard only for a lot of it to go back home to your parents because they made so many sacrifices to you. And then like you have the leftover and it's like, you're spending on rent, you're spending on like food. And then it's like, what is really left over from your 90 to hundred hour weeks? So like people do make very, very deep sacrifices, which is why I think Wall Street should just have better working conditions. I think it's completely unreasonable to expect someone to like burn out that way and like exhaust themselves so consistently. Have you had discussions with any of the top level managers on Wall Street to like, you know, provide some analysis? Because I mean, technically like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are systems that could do some basic sentiment analysis or like some statistical models that could like take the way that the language is coming in. And like, like, have you had any discussions with top managers on Wall Street? Like, hey, you know, maybe not 100 percent of these people are, are on Wall Street, but there's this large concentration that are. And here's what they're saying. Can you do something yeah. about this? Um. So one of the things that I would um really be into doing is like dni consulting or at least like cultural consulting for like banks and like private equity funds and like hedge funds mm -hmm. even like i think culture is like a big problem and like um i rich handler is the most accessible ceo it, it's insane so like whenever i talk about like what's been really great on my page or like interacting with like senior people um back when 13 analysts at goldman sachs i think it was 13 um release this like deck of like what was going on and like why they're like so tired like structurally uh structurally everything um he went out of his way to like host a zoom lunch with me and like we held a contest basically with my followers where it was like they were submitting actionable things that banks could be doing um to like create a better work environment and like rich asked this like you know, CEO, who's a hardo, basically, like, super cool guy, like, sat down and listened to them and, like, sat at a Zoom lunch and, like, like gave them feedback and, like, took their advice into play. And that was, like, this, like, one conversation that, like, I got to host and hold, but, like, got to foster and, like, senior management. Like, you can't get more senior than the CEO, right? Like, he was there for it. Um, yeah, but I think, like, if, you know, Jamie Dimon listened to me, that'd be great. Um, I know, like, I kind of make memes about him and I'm like, Kim Kardashian should date him now that he's, uh, now that she's divorced. But like, um, I think these <laughs> CEOs hilarious. kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think they kind of sleep on it. I think that it's not, it's not a personal thing. I mean, I don't really care what they think of me personally, because like, I know I have like a very strong persona for lack of a better word, but I think they're sleeping on 
Wall Street Confessions and like the community aspect of it all. And like, there's so much that they could benefit from if they just stop gatekeeping. Well, how do you, do you think that like, do you think that Wall Street is just like a overrepresented version of what New York City is? Like what it's like on the island in general? Because it seems like, 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 mm -hmm. oh no, go ahead. Oh no, 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 go on. Sorry, I was... You know, I was born in the Bay Area and spent most of my life in Colorado, but I always recognize what I perceive to be as like, at least in North America, like an extreme brutality in New York City that I I seriously don't believe exists on the North American continent anywhere except New York. So when people make these claims or say, you know, uh, this is the greatest city in the world, blah, blah, blah. I understand those things, but I also think it is one of the most brutal cities in the world and most brutal on the North American continent. Do you think that like New York has a culture or like just kind of a, a dire need for survival in certain ways that is unique to it and maybe that bleeds into banking? I think so. I think a lot of it is just like young New York professional culture. I mean, like, even like the people in tech I meet here, I mean, granted they don't like work as much, but I mean, so maybe <laughs> that's a bad example because like the people from tech kind of just like come over here and chill and like hang out. But like, um, <laughs> and like, I'm sorry if I'm offending one specific person's experience. There's always one person who's like, let me take this blanket statement and make it all about me and talk about my unique experience and trauma, like fill everyone with my trauma. And I'm like, shut up. Like it wasn't about you. Yeah. We, we understand you're the exception. Anyways, um, <laughs> no, I do think, I do think like New York has like a lot to play into it. Like I have a friend who is an aspiring model. She is full-time at a financial services firm and she's a full-time student. Like she's doing three different mm. things because she has to and she babysits and she side hustles. And it's like, yeah, you really have to like do everything you can, even if you're not, I mean, she's like in finance, but like, even if you're not in banking, right. I mean, like, look at the girls who graduate from NYU and like do PR, like they don't just do PR for like one person. They're like hustling different clients and they're like doing different things. And I think like there's a bit, there's very much a culture of here just like working. There's no culture of like leisure yeah. and it like definitely bleeds into banking to an extent. Um, and I think maybe that's like part of the reason why people think it's okay. I definitely think the like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere argument like comes out a lot in banking or like in New York, at least. I mean, I believe in it. I think the same way I have, you know, made huge lifestyle sacrifices to even go full time as a creator. Um, and I've told myself, it's like, I live in New York. I have a certain life. I have to do this. Like, it's like either this or I like, you know, live with my parents and like, go back to school and like do god like i can't have a full-time job or like yeah i can't have a full-time job i'm interviewing right now but like i can't have a job that requires me to be in the office like at sure. all like i just can't have like what people would call i i can't have a very structured job so and that's what sure. i tell myself i'm like if you have that personality and if you live in the city like you have to do what you have to do and i think it's a very common thing in the city and like it definitely like feeds into banking and like wall street culture um because it is centralized here i mean something i do wonder though is like goldman sachs like moved a bunch of offices to miami and there's like a lot of finance people in miami now apparently i mean before everyone was getting vaccinated miami was like the thing like it was like cool to like live there and be there and like the mayor of miami follows me on twitter because i tweeted Uh that i want to move there and meet my first husband because goldman sachs is moving their offices there Uh and um 
he tweeted me back and he's like yeah you should move here and I was I was like great I'm gonna move I did not move but I did spend time there before I got vaxxed because I was so tired of being in a shoebox flex room before I had my yeah. uh, my own place now but back in the day I had a flex wall um apartment Dang. and it was miserable but um okay I, I I oftentimes wonder like what banking is like there like what banking is like in like other states like is it like similar like I always ask myself this it's not New York just has a, a unique access that like, you know, I'm looking at one of your Instagram posts and maybe I'll start commenting on them occasionally, but uh, 736, it says Americans need to show some respect to Canadian private equity firms. We're out here killing the game. We'll, we will be taking over. It's unfortunate that like, it's not an equal environment. It, it's unequal. And the capital and so much of it flows yeah. through in New York City. And not and not just in New York, but you know, New York provides capital to markets around the globe. So so this Canadian guy, it's opt optimistic of him to think that uh his private equity firm is gonna be uh you know uh re, you know, the kind of respect I mean, that you hear from these larger institutions in New York, but is that realistic? That's just Canadian banking. No, exactly. I mean, my point of view is like, if you're not in New York, I, I, I like don't care what's happening unless you're in like Paris or London or Milan or like somewhere really dope like that, like a major European city. Um, yeah, I mean, what even happens in Canada? Like, I don't know, like, apparently a lot of bad stuff is happening there lately. But like, before that, like, I just like, I have this thing where it's like I feel very narrow-minded in the sense that like if it's not directly happening like 20 minutes away from me in the city I like I don't care like it's not real to me. Unless, New York forces unless, like, an that. awful thing. Yeah. Unless New York forces awful, that though. Unless the environment. Like, an awful political thing you know that I care about. I care I care deeply about like you know like women's rights and like you know people going to war like I care about those things. But, like, if I don't care about some random person in Toronto being, like, Bay Street's <laughs> even better. I mean, that person, and this is a theory of mine, there's an account called Bay Street Confessions. And, like, they got oh, upset wow. with me because I wouldn't, like, shout them out. But I was like, dude, you're just knocking off exactly what I'm doing. Like, I would totally publish, like, Canadian banking confessions because I have no way to know if they're in Canada. I probably have, like, a billion times. It's like, sure. I just, like, New York's, like, the place to be. Like, I just, like, who cares about it? I don't care about flyover states. Like, I don't. <laughs> shitty, I don't. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I get I, that. I'm making all New Yorkers look awful on this podcast. No, you're not. I already knew this. Uh, <laughs> because, again, the, the community is incredible. Uh, but if you're, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I can see the mountains and I don't have NYPD honking 24 7. I don't have to worry about 2,000 cops sitting outside because they're getting ready for the fireworks or something, you know. I don't have yeah. to worry about the, the president coming in and his convoy closing down first. I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? I, I don't have to deal with the, a lot of the things that um, uh, you have to deal with in the city, but that from how incredible the city is and how much uh, yeah. attention it, it garners, even just walking down the street. Um, so no, that this is interesting. Now, also feel like um, like you would be incredible at like stand up, like satire. Oh, <laughs> like you've got some veins of comedy where I'm like, dang, 
Like, are you um, doing that on purpose, or is this just kind of like how you speak about things, and then it just happens that we're all laughing our asses off? I, I just want to retro. I, I want to make a statement on what I just said retroactively. I'm interviewing with okay. a handful of places that are not in New York. I have a deep amount of respect uh, for Israel. There's an Israeli. I'm interviewing at an Israel-based company. Deep, deep amount of respect. Do you care about that? I care about Colorado and Utah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to name it. <laughs> I, I care about. I, I care about everything that's not directly the Midwest. We'll, we'll leave it there. I love the okay. South. I applied to Ole Miss when I was in high school. Um, oh, yeah. okay. I wanted to be a Kappa Kappa Gamma so bad. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, just retroactively, please don't not hire me because I said I don't care about anything except for New York. <laughs> I care. Um, but, but everyone yeah, no, outside of New York knows this to be true, Reese, so you don't have to hide it. We all, we all I know. I didn't say it. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> I, and I, I love California. I went to high school in OCA. I mean, I'm okay. a... I, lo I love the West Coast. But yeah, no, I think people think I'm funny. I think I'm like kind of unhinged, um, <laughs> which I'm working on toning down. I've, I've done one no. stand-up set. Um, don't tone, I was in don't college. tone it down. I think it's still um, refined because, Re, I think that it's still refined because it, it says a lot about where you're coming from. And I'm sure people that can relate to what you're talking about. Yeah. It's not like, like there, you don't say things that are like mean spirited. So a lot of the things to me are like fun and not on the record. <laughs> um, maybe around my friends. No, even then, I, I think like one of my like biggest like principles in life and like, you know, I used to like joke around and be like, I have very few, but like um I've been doing career coaching, which has like opened up my worldview a lot. And it's like one of like my biggest things in life is like don't fuck anyone over. Don't be a a bad person and like just like be nice to people like i stopped using like the word hate like altogether like in january i didn't say it at all and like it wasn't because of the new year's because i don't really believe in that whole like new year this is like resolution thing but it's just because like sure. i felt like i don't like really hate like there's just like nothing that i can like conceptualize that i like truly hate you know what i mean and i feel like it's awful energy and i feel like i'm not a mean person i think a lot of people think i am mean um and like do they i'm not they do. People think I'm like I've been like told in I'm your, cold. In, in your like I, I circle get, or in uh, your persona uh, online. Everything. I mean, like I had an ex <laughs> like tell me like he was like, um, and you know we were friends at the time, but he was like, "You're just like a really mean person," and I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, <laughs> "You're just like really mean," and it's like, I like I try really hard not to be. I think I'm actually really sweet and like warm. Like once you like talk to me for like more than like yeah. like 30 seconds i'm like i, I mean i, I agree yeah i mean Rhea, you posted a tweet two days ago that says you don't fuck <laughs> with people who order mimosas do you know how many times i've said that to people yeah it's not people, an acceptable drink it's not i'll tell people that their taste is box wine it's not my fault that it doesn't have a vintage on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no know? i mean like, it, it's not mean to say like and you know thank god i'm like not really popular on tiktok i mean the wall street confessions tiktok i posted like i think seven things on there and we have like over half a million views completely by accident by the way i was just fucking around because okay. i was bored but like thank god my personal brand like doesn't get any traction on tiktok because it's like <laughs> i say stuff and like tiktok teen like tiktok girlies and like teenagers would be like this is actually really classist and elitist and it's like <laughs> At a certain point, you just have to ex like accept the fact that you're in a bubble. If you say things 
they're directed towards people in your bubble. Like, obviously, I don't mean like 90% of the things I say or like 95% of the things I say towards like, okay, here, here's the perfect example for this, right? Okay. I don't like Michael Kors. I have Dior. No, I don't have a Dior bag right now, but I have Saint Laurent, Chanel. I, sure. like, I, I care about bags, right? But I think Michael Kors is tacky and stupid. And I will always say this, right? And it's like, sure. people, like, if I, I mean, like, it, this debate always happens on Christmas around Twitter, um, on Twitter, um, okay. around Christmas, by the way, where it's like, if he gives you a Michael Kors bag, what are you going to do? And it's like, and like, sorry, I think like someone's slacking me with something. Yeah. Um, um, no. Okay. So Michael Kors, right. Um, obviously when I'm like, Michael Kors is tacky, it's not directed towards people who can only afford Michael Kors. And that's like their biggest luxury. (laughs) And like Kate Spade, same thing. I mean, like, here's what it is, right? Like when I was in high school, um, my family is super working class growing up. Like my brothers are like, 10 and 15 years older than me respectively or like 10 and 12 years um and it's like they started working and like they started making money and it's like when I was younger and I got my first Michael Kors back I thought it was the greatest thing in the world because like that was my tax bracket I wasn't in my like spoiled New York bubble so it's like yeah I've seen like all ends of the spectrum from like being 22 and making six figures and like you know being able to buy myself Chanel and stuff to you know the Michael Kors bag being like my biggest flex and like I when I say Michael Kors is tacky I'm not being elitist or maybe I am but like I'm not being classist it's it's directed towards like people who make over 150 and live in New York like if you have a Michael Kors bag and you live in New York and you go to Equinox something is wrong with you something is fucking wrong go to the real real and buy a vintage Celine bag or something this is like my biggest pet peeve when everyone's like Oh my if god. If you got a front, yeah, hit the secondary market. There's plenty of uh high fashion available there. My all of my Chanel is vintage. I like attest to that. My Louis Vuitton's vintage. Like my Saint Laurent bags are the only ones I've been in this store for because they're like middle range, high end, you know? Like the bags are like two to like three thousand dollars. Those are like bags that are sure. very attainable, but like my Chanel is probably worth, I don't know, like ten grand. And it's like my Louis Vuitton, I just don't like their service, so I don't like on principle don't like buy anything from them directly but like it's just it it baffles me when my audience is like you're not allowed to say this like and I'm like yes I am like I I like made it to the tax bracket like initially when I was 19 and I was like well this is back office and they were like you you can't say that I get that that. because I was 19 it it was the biggest scandal I got so canceled there's these people who made an account to like dox like fin meme creators and they're like we're gonna dox you because you're 19 and you use back office as an insult (laughs) and it's like it was so scary for me this is back when i still wanted to work in banking i had so many panic attacks but um i feel like my audience doesn't realize that like i'm not 19 anymore i'm like i'm i've moved i'm up there now like i make money like i can fucking say things like it's like and that like people just take some everything so up the ass like I don't even know how we got here, by the way. I'm sorry. I, like, missed the original point completely. It's but It's all like, fitting in. I never intend on being in. mean. That, that's what I mean. And, like, it, and I think, like, something that people lack, and this is, like, my biggest thing on TikTok, too, is, like, conversational nuance, where it's, like, like, and I, re- I repeated this, and this is the last time I'm going to say it, but, like, anything I say is directed towards people who are equal to me. Mm. Like, I never punch down. Never punch down. That's, like, rule number one of, like, life. 
never punched on because it's like people are still making it and like they're still hustling so there's no reason sure. to shit on them um but yeah no this is just my personality i'm not like intentional with my like humor i just say things well, um and worry. they go over well no, i'm well known for being outspoken so this is perfect and you know i always make these kind of correlations to like um why uh certain women are not fans of michael kors or uh, Kate Spade, but I do think a lot of it has to do with American brands trying to break into high fashion, and they're just being kind of like a yeah. cheapness that's associated with that. Um, and then also the brands do play down market, so there are probably obvious correlations in people's income, education, geography. Uh, and so if well, people want to get offended about your critique of Michael Kors, I mean, that's bullshit, but I could see how people could get fired up. Yeah, and, like, I can see how people could get fired up because, like, I mean, go across the river to, like, New Jersey. Like, that's, like, <laughs> like people fuck with Michael Kors and Gucci, and that's fine. But, like, and I, I also want to make the distinction that, like, that was me up until four and a half years ago. So, I, like, I'm, like, I don't even, I think the last time I made fun of Michael Kors was, like, a year and a half ago on Twitter because I was, like, being stupid. But, like, I just think, like, also my thing with Michael Kors and, like, American brands is, like, if they're going to price something at, like, $250, like, and it's in TJ Maxx, like, they can't expect, like, people to, like, take them at, like, a Fendi level. And, like, <laughs> if you're buying something like that, like, this is my point of view, like, and this is, like, what I tell, like, my followers when they reach out to me about advice on, like, what bags to buy, right? It's, like, if your budget is, like, 250 to 500 there's this brand in France called Polen. Um, handmade in Spain, designed in Paris. The bags are anywhere from like four hundred to five hundred dollars, and there's no like obnoxious label, but it's a really, really, really nice bespoke, it's like European bag, and like the leather is great. And it's like my point of view personally is like if I have five hundred dollars to spend on like my first bag for work, either I would go to the real real, or I'd buy something like low key. And like not flex on people and i would be like oh yeah sure. and it's e it's an even bigger flex though to be like it's vintage goyard or or well you can't get goyard for that much or to be like you know it's from europe and like it's like handcrafted and like have a story behind it i think that's right. so much more powerful than like logomania i think this is like a big like cultural thing in america like don't flex if you don't have it yet like i i've made money from brand deals i haven't bought myself a rolex still and it's like people no, you're to have a Rolex. How long are you gonna wait, Re? What the hell? I I'm, I know. <laughs> no. it's like I'm just I'm waiting to get I'm waiting to get to the point um of like buying Rolex, but it's like I haven't, and I'm you know I'm fine with it. Like I and I'm not flexing what I don't have. Like this is a story that I since we're talking about like bags and like New York and whatnot. I had a very like long emotional day yesterday because I so like. Earlier, I was saying I'm a full-time creator. With being a full-time creator comes making lots of financial sacrifices. And, like, I try, like, my worst habit is, like, taking over blocks everywhere because I need, I, I just, I have to. It's, like, my thing in life. But, like, I spend money and it's, like, this is, like, and, like, when you're a creator, like, your income is inconsistent, right? Like, I can get, like, 10 or 15 grand, like, one random week. Like, I'm rolling in money. Like, my bank statements from last year, I don't even look at them right now. I'm not looking at them until I have to do my taxes. Because, like, they depress me. Like, the deposit, like, the, the deposits versus, like, what I've been doing lately. Um, And it's, like, I had to sell the first St. Laurent bag I ever bought in the store at Bloomingdale's that I bought on my yeah. birthday. 
and I had to sell it um and I got the cash and it's like I needed the cash because it's like I'm not like working like full time and like I have to keep my head above water and I have like more important expenses and I cried when I was walking out because it was the bag I bought myself on my birthday I was actually sitting here in a black turtleneck so literally like the Matisse thing is in the background the unboxing video which I took down um but I was sobbing my eyes out for like two hours I'm like it is still like a very emotional thing for me and I had to like spend all day thinking of it as a net positive so like I had to structure it for myself and be like um if I sold it to the real real they would have given me about this amount maybe like two three hundred more but it wouldn't have been cash it would have taken six months or like maybe if I was lucky like a short amount of time to get it sold I got what I needed the bag had a lot of wear and tear because it was my go-to bag it was like black and gold that's like it goes with all my outfits so it's like the wear and tear and like that like I would have like made that much on the real real but then it's like that like goes back to my point of like not flexing what I don't have like I made a decision where it's like I'm gonna part ways with this because like I'm just not there right now like I'm not making six figures right now and it's not very prudent of me to like have a collection of handbags when I'm like you know trying to pay for things so I mean, and there's nothing wrong with these transitions, right? Because obviously, like you have yeah. career objectives, you're lo- assessing exactly. your trajectory, you're looking at all of your options. I think, I think the culture, though, especially when we go back to Wall Street or when we're in Manhattan, the culture has these like markers of success, and and it's signaling. The signals are over. Yeah. Like, you could be here where I'm at in Boulder, and uh, the wealthy people drive Subarus and you guarantee they don't buy any high fashion, right? But they yeah. may have this, they may have 70 times more than the 26 year old male that, you know, just started at JP Morgan, but he has a $6,000 suit on for some reason. And they don't even oh, yeah. have suits in their closet 100%. out here, right? You know, so it's like, it's like, it must be a delicate balance, like the signaling, the, you know, these supposed markers I mean, of success and then committing to the things that you enjoy. Yeah, and it's, like, I made the right decision. Like, I still have, like, all three of my Chanel bags. I'm, like, whatever. But it's also just, like, I think it's, like, very different for, for women. For now. For now. Uh, I'm, I'm no, I'm joking. Job. I'm like, joking. I, I know I'm you joking. are. I'm just, I'm manifesting my full-time job. Um, yep. Oh, actually, I just got an angel list email that my application for a director of product marketing somewhere has been ex- uh, accepted, and they're scheduling an interview with me. So, fuck yeah. Is it- um, I know we only have a few more minutes, so I want to tackle oh, a couple more yeah, things. Sorry. And I, and I yeah. want to, no, you're good. This is fun. And I also want to make sure people know where to find you. But while we're on this list, okay, uh, what are like the target roles that you're uh, looking for right now? Like, what are the ones that you're like, okay, I'll take yeah. That would be amazing, you know? Yeah, I think VP of marketing had a brand. Um, I think people tend to pigeonhole me into social media, but I am like, I understand how to direct paid advertising. I understand how to do like exercises and branding and like deal with designers and like deal with like building a media kit and like like other things. And it's like mm-hmm. I think like my talents are more than just like tweeting and like I'm really like making that known by like literally a, I'm punching way above my weight or like in yeah, other people's eyes could. I may be punching above my weight with like applying to VP jobs, but I'm like fuck it because like mm-hmm. when I when I had my last job I got a head of brand offer from like a company oh, that yeah. has like 
over 100 million funding but like I said no because like it was just a lot of responsibilities and like I didn't have a team immediately under me and like there's a whole thing but like if I can get that offer from them I feel like I can do anything like I feel like I'm perfectly capable of like a VP position like I know the nuances of fintech better than like most people do better than someone who was VP of marketing in, in like a food like better than someone who was VP of marketing let's say at like fashion Nova would know you know what I mean like I'm a fintech girl through and through and like I roll with the punches sorry fintech I just spent you're... time defending with myself no you're good fintech's the sector that you're focused on correct yeah, that's the I've been in fintech that... um, for like three years now. Okay, and uh, remote fintech work in marketing. Yeah. Okay, because obviously you got to stay in Manhattan if you come to one of these flyover yeah. states. You're yeah. nobody. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and, uh... um, well, yeah. Um, no, no, no. One of the companies I'm talking to, they're super fucking cool. They're in Utah. It's like I would go to on-site there. I just would live in the city back. because it's part of it's part of my appeal to live in here and i think there's like so many advantages to having a marketing person in new york oh 100 the whole yeah. globe knows that you know the whole globe knows that there's highly skilled labor that's extremely concentrated in new york city that's no oh problem. yeah and like the happy hours and the mixers i'm like you can just make so many things happen here if you like lean into it you guys just need to get a different mayor that's the only problem I have with the New York City is well, the mayor. mayor's already gone. Like De Blasio's gone, but the new no, one. We're talking about uh, uh, Eric, Eric Adams. Adams. Yeah, you guys. Need he to took his first two else. paychecks in Bitcoin. I didn't vote for him. I didn't <laughs> vote for mayor because I was like, I I don't know who the, you know, you you have like Andrew Yang and stuff, and like Andrew Yang's like not even a New Yorker. First of all, I mean, what do I know? I've only been here for three years, right? Um, but it's like. He wants to run the city like a startup. And if you go on Andrew Yang's Twitter, he's like a special kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> I'm he not is, though. No, um, I take shots at him all the yeah. time. We'll save, we'll save that for the next time that we talk. But really yeah. quick, like, what are the best places for people to find you? Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to contact me directly, NYC Sad Girl on Twitter and Instagram, um, NYC S-A-D-G-I-R-L. Um, or my website is just my name, reesharma.com. Um, and yeah, I'm actually super weirdly accessible. I take almost every call that comes into my inbox, um, always down to talk and uh, banter. Sick. And I, w I wish we could banter for the rest of the afternoon, but it's been cool to host <laughs> you, Re. And uh, we'll do a follow-up and we'll see, we'll see where you're at. Because yeah. you obviously um, are using your skills to get a really broad reach. A lot of people don't get, you know, a broad reach early or at all. So I'm sure you're going to find what you're looking for, but it's exciting to watch. So, yeah, thank you so much. This is great. Cool.